All right, hello and welcome back to The Last Note. Again, we're going to talk about some notes and some questions we have from this week's sermon, which you can find on our Bethany Baptist Facebook or YouTube page. Go ahead and take a listen to that good sermon on Father's Day, talking about Paul and his relationship with the church. And this episode is entitled, Not Many Fathers. So we're just going to dive right into it. The first question I have is about Paul. And uh, Paul refers to the church as little ones or my little children. Um, Did Paul have any biological children of his own? There is nothing in Scripture that leads us to believe that. Uh, People speculate about it and pull certain Scriptures, I think, out of context to defend that Paul was married or Paul had children. Um, But that's looking into the text. That's really not letting the Scripture speak for itself. So from all that we know and all indications we have just from reading the Scripture as it is, the answer is he did not have biological children, but he did have spiritual children. He did have people that he labored uh, to bring into faith and people that he thought of as if they were his own children, and he loved and approached them in that manner. Uh, And if you think about it, you and I, we are limited to how many children we are going to have in a lifetime. I mean, there's a certain span that we can have, and that's that's basically the end of of our of our road. Uh, but for people that are out laboring to win souls and bring people to Christ and convince people of the love of God through Jesus Christ, then they can have as many children as 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 they can reach. Right. So it's, it's interesting that he didn't have biological children, but he did have a diversity of children that probably is is a multitude upon multitudes of children, which is which is cool, and uh, especially. He talks about uh, travailing almost in the labor pains there, going through that process of winning them to Christ, but also helping them grow up in Christ, you know? So I think that's uh, pretty cool that he relates us to that. So uh, he does call himself a father, but he also tells the church that they have many instructors, but they don't have many fathers. So what is the key difference between an instructor of Christ and then somebody who's your spiritual father in the faith? An instructor would be someone you handed your child off to to teach them a specific skill or trade or language, whatever it may be. It's a teacher. And so teachers, although they love learning and imputing knowledge, um, they do not carry the same weight or love or compassion, or they do not carry the same investment that a father has in their children. So although a father may send a child off to an instructor, the instructor only can care for that child within shallow water. A father's love is deep. It, it is really infinitely uh, deep for the most part. We'll never get down to the bottom of how much you and I love our children. I mean, we can, I'm sure there's a bottom in our humanity, but we would never reach the bottom of exactly what it means. Only God would know that. So the difference is that love, that compassion, the fact that before there ever was a teacher, there was a father. And that the father wouldn't, the, the teacher would not mean anything to the child. Uh, unless the child was born, which would take a father to do that. So there is a differentiation there. And uh, because of the squabbles that the, the Corinthians were having amongst each other about who fit where and who had the best teacher and mm-hmm. who was instructed by the best instructor and, and those squabbles, he was, he was really kind of nixing that, kneeling that, wiping that, that slate clean and saying, hey, you do have a lot of teachers he didn't say there were bad teachers at that point. There were some corrupt ones, but he wasn't aiming at the corruption. He was aiming at saying, hey, I want you to hear what I have to say because you don't have a father like I am. These are teachers. I'm your father. 
So it's kind of a it's kind of that play on there is a differentiation. The differentiation would probably be the amount of compassion one had for the other. Okay. I like that. Now, going I guess back to us, what uh is it okay for us to be just an instructor or should every Christian strive to have children in the faith, people that they have that compassion for? I think we're meant to do both, right? I mean, thank God appoints us to bring people to Christ and you talk about their laboring pains. There are a lot of ups and downs sometimes when you're bringing someone to the Lord, especially if they're, they're, maybe they're from a, a, another religion, another background, no religion at all, and their mind has been saturated with an arsenal of defenses against Christianity, uh, but they're open to hear and talk with you because you've got some kind of love going there, some kind of uh, bond that's already started. So your, your instructions, both of your instructions, yours from Christianity and theirs from wherever their background is, Although they're different and could cause a wall, it's love that tears down that wall. And then so you can bring them into the faith. And of course, that bond becomes strong, very, very strong. Um, hopefully a lifelong uh, strength will be created there and bond will be created there. But it's also we're called to be instructors. And that is there's others that have been brought to the faith, um, but other spiritual fathers that we are there just to teach. So in a way, we'll always be secondary. I mean, really, no one forgets the person that brings them to Christ and first loves them, no matter who they are. Sometimes we always occupy that role of being an instructor or a teacher, and uh, I'm fine with that. Of course, I'm closer to the people I brought to Christ, um, but I'm also close in a lot of ways to those who I instruct in Christ. So I think we should strive to be both and do both, but expect those relationships to fall on the level in which they are. Don't expect them to outgrow what they really are. They can hit the ceiling of what you are as an instructor, uh, but never expect that relationship to go as far as uh, a spiritual father or parent or parent figure in the faith unless you are doing the work to bring them into the kingdom. Now, how cool is it that um, you do have a chance and opportunity to be not just a spiritual father, but physical father? Like, I guess the reverse of that, you have... You're a physical father, but you have a chance to be a spiritual father to your biological children. I, I think that's got to be cool and something that I pray and look forward to, you know? It's good. Um, you know, as, as a pastor and a parent, my children love me because I'm their dad. Um, I've seen three of them uh, brought into the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel, um, which is interesting there. They, they hear it at home. They see it at home. They're encouraged to be involved with it at home. Uh, but there's also their instructors that have poured into them and taught them, and they've learned a lot from. So those two things definitely work together. But they see me as dad. I mean, they don't really see me as pastor at all. They right. see me as dad. Um, and I don't think they'll ever see me as pastor. I hope they always see me as dad first. Um, but I, I do want to be their physical father, and I want to be their spiritual father, their mentor. Um, but also want to leave because I respect. God's design and order for there to be pastors and elders and other brothers and sisters in the family. I respect that order so much. I hope my children get that, that I'm not the end all, that I may be their spiritual father and their biological father, but there is, a, there is room for the brothers and sisters in the church to help them, to grow them, to hold them accountable. And there's plenty of room for the teachers in the church to instruct them that even though that I may be the authority, I'm not the end all of their learning. And I yeah. want them to get that. Yeah, there's. Uh, a whole group, a whole family, a whole body there. So, and in First Corinthians fifteen, we see Paul tell the the church that evil communications corrupt good manners. 
how does this concept of evil communication corrupting our good manners, how does that apply to our daily lives? We've got to back up and understand the context of 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection. I mean, he gives the, the first creed of the resurrection, the first real teaching of the resurrection that we find in the New Testament. He lays out this wonderful case of the power of the resurrection. And if that foundation is knocked away, then uh, everything that he does and everything every other uh, Christian is sacrificing during that time is useless. It's no good because without Christ being raised from the dead, their faith is in vain. But because Christ is risen from the dead, then their faith has infinite value. And we see that back and forth. And you'll have to go to 1 Corinthians 15 and read that in your own time to get that great argument, that massive argument that he has uh, pertaining to the resurrection. So what he's saying is getting around people who do not have the accurate view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, becoming companions with them, joining in fellowship with them, even though their ideas may sound suave, they may sound smooth, uh, they may sound noble, they may even make sense at some level for them, uh, where they are mentally, where they are emotionally, where their background's tied to. Even though it may make sense, what he's saying is tying yourself even if it seems like for a good reason, and it's quote-unquote good-hearted people you're connecting yourself with, that companionship is going to lead you into deep error because the Christian behavior, remember we said on Sunday that Paul is about behavioral theology. He writes about behavioral theology. It's theology, it's knowledge of God, but he's very interested in how that plays out in reality. These deep doctrines, these deep truths, mostly the resurrection of Christ and that grace afforded to us, how that plays out in a behavior. So he's saying attaching yourself to someone who does not have correct and sound doctrine concerning the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his atonement of our sins and what it means to, to, to connect yourself to a person like that, to have a companionship with them, that's going to corrupt your behavior. The trajectory of your behavior, although it may be gradual, uh, you know, the, the old saying is the, the road to hell is a slow and gradual one. I think C.S. Lewis writes that in the screw tape letters. So the context there is if you connect yourself to even what, what people would call good people, moral people, but yet they have a terrible understanding or the, a slightly wrong understanding of the resurrection, your trajectory and your behavior is going to change if the dead rise not. Yeah. Well, it's just like he says, uh, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, you know? It corrupts everything. So now we go to Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and in in this context of these two verses, you're talking about the unique vision of a father. How the father has this vision from God, how he carries it out, protects and and really cares for the family. So in Second Corinthians eleven two, we see uh, that that he's jealous over them with a godly jealousy. What does Paul mean when he mentions this godly jealousy? And then how does that relate to his desire to present them as this chaste virgin to Christ? It goes back to behavioral theology, right? He, that's, and, he, and he takes his stance as a father. And I'll say this. If you're a pastor, this is, this is dangerous territory um, because I'm, I feel like this has been throughout church history. But many people think that pastors do overstep their boundaries whenever they talk to somebody plainly about their behavior being corrupt or ungodly or their trajectory of their thinking could lead to ungodliness. And they think pastors have crossed the line and invaded their privacy when the truth is, if you are a spiritual father, they're, they're really, when it comes to training a person up, there isn't these boundaries because I, my, my children and I, we have healthy boundaries. Um, but those healthy boundaries include me being in their business. 
And those healthy boundaries include correction. Those healthy boundaries include a big vision for them. So Paul has this big vision that correct theology accepted will lead to good behavior and make them a chaste virgin before the coming of Christ, which means they're living in a way that's God-honoring and pleasing. Now, we have to understand that virginity in this sense doesn't make a person perfect. And I've said this before, we don't aim at perfection, but it's good to aim at purity, right? It's good to aim at, it's good to aim at purity. So that, that's what he's still going to this father analogy. And he's still saying, as a father, I'm jealous over you as if you were my daughter. And my job is to make sure that your life is right and in a right order so that you can succeed at the greatest day to come. And that is the judgment of Christ, that great day of the revealing of the Son of God. So that, that's kind of where he's leaning and where he's going to. And by the way, great, great question. And these are great questions that go along with the sermon, of course, that we don't have time to dig into on Sunday. Yeah, and this Sunday was packed. We did a lot. And so it is good to have this time to flesh it out a little bit further and uh, to see all the study that really has been, that, that's gone into it. The last question I have is back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Now, uh, it talks about love bearing all things, believing all things, and it, it hopes and it endures all things. How does the unique compassion of a father manifest itself through these qualities of love or charity in this verse? Um, my children aggravate me at That's times. Yeah. At times. They can be um, impulsive. Uh, and I remember, I remember that very well, and I still have my own impulses. They can be impulsive, selfish. Um, you, you know, you, we can name the, qual- the bad qualities that children can have. Um, but what I say is the way it's, it's acted out, the way that we see it in the behavior of a father, a spiritual father, is that patience, is that room for mistakes to be made, is that room for their hard-headedness. Um, I was talking to my oldest son on the way over here to record, and one thing I said to him, and as I said, at first, when we come to Christ or we come to anything, uh, when, it come, when it comes to growing and learning and knowledge, our first job is to be obedient. We might not understand what we're obeying. We might not understand the laws of physics or mathematics when we're studying them. We're just doing the paperwork. We're doing the problems. We're doing the arithmetic. We're finding the sum of the equation. And we're doing it basically by formula. But then I said, once it clicks in your head, that aha, and you understand the why behind the what, and all of a sudden it's like you brought, you're brought into this bigger room, right? You're brought into this, to this bigger area. So I think when we have patience with our kids, giving them their own minds to develop and grow, and we continually and consistent present truth to them, present maturity to them, present a heavenly vision to them of what God would have them to be, and more than that, what Christ has done for them, I think that's how it's played out. It's played out in how we allow them to, we have faith that what we're telling them will work. We're having, we're having, and that, that faith has played out in, we love them enough through Christ. We love them because of Christ to the point that we have faith that his word will work with them and we give them that space. And that is our behavior is patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, you know, those fruit, that fruit of the spirit we're teaching on, on Wednesday nights. That is how it's played out. And that is how it looks. It looks like I've corrected you. I've told you now go do. You know, we, we've said what we said, no, no, go act and give them that space to bump their heads, give them that space to fall down and scrape their knees and be there for them all along the way. Yeah. 
man, this is a this has been a good podcast. It's been a good episode. Um, I encourage you, the listener, to go home and read First Corinthians chapter four in its entirety. It'll give you good context to what we're saying here. It'll let it all kind of make sense and the pieces fall into place a little bit further. And then after that, go and listen to our sermon on this on YouTube, on our Bethany Baptist Church uh, YouTube channel and on Facebook to make sure you understand what we said Sunday morning as well. We hope you join us next time on The Last Note. I'm Todd with Pastor Altman, and we can't wait to hear you next time.